Um, so uh, in our day, as I hope some of you got to, uh, I have seen many different uh, acclaimed pools of healing, uh, commodities that have become sort of socially famous for their healing properties. And, and the trends, of course, vary depending on where you grew up and what your experience is. Caleb always tells about in his childhood, there is this thing called emu oil. emu oil that apparently solved all physical ills. I never heard about emu oil, but apparently that was what was recommended in Cullioca, Tennessee in the mid-90s. Um, but we're... It <laughs> You're alive. 56. At 56. Emu, yeah, I think so. Um, and I don't know if you guys ever heard of this one, but my grandparents uh, drank this religiously. It was something called Zango juice. Did you guys hear about this? Okay, so I didn't hear about it, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't ever have it, but it was um, this juice, and I Googled it to try to like figure out, because I remember it, but I don't remember exactly the details, and um, found out with a quick Google that Zango juice was this uh, multi-level marketing uh, juice company that um, was actually officially warned by the FDA in 2006 for illegally marketing over 20 health benefits for its juice. And again, my grandparents like drank this religiously. It was like a shot a day sort of situation to keep you young and healthy, which they both did live <laughs> into their late 90s. So that's pretty good. Um, so, so the pools of healing today, the ones uh, like the one in um, Bethzatha, consist of things that we have decidedly, as a culture, cure anything that needs to be cured. They're sort of one-stop shops for healing. Uh, but they're a little bit tricky, right? So they have to be used properly, just like the pool. Uh, they have to be measured right for them to work. Um, and if they don't work, it's probably like a user error, right? Like you're not doing it right. Um, and our pools of healing are a lot like the pool of healing in this story today. But our pools of healing are most likely to be other things, right? They're not sort of these... Um, this is, not, this is not the word used in, in the scripture, but they're not sort of like, um, you know, knock on wood things. They're, they're, they're things that have some sort of scientific something related to them because we're more evolved now. So they might be things like, some of our group came up with some of these, um, essential oils, cure all, um, psychotherapies, weight loss programs, um, self-care regimens, somatic therapies like chiropractic care, acupuncture, um, personality, enlightenment systems, uh, vitamins, right? Vitamins. Oh, and let's not forget the ultimate pool of healing these days. What'd you say? Surely you guys know. The, the thing that cures all ills. What'd you say? Salt floats? No marijuana, of course. Any some form of marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's almost like, you know how Maddie preached last week about jumping to the end of the book? It's almost like you can do that whenever you start to, like, tell someone about your illness, about what they're going to suggest at the end, because these pools are so common, it's like you can just... I went to my chiropractor, and I was like, so do you know anything I can do to help with grinding my teeth? And he was like, well, you can do... You could uh, ingest hemp oil before bed, you know, like... Like, I could have guessed that he was going to, oh, and we sell it in our shop, you know, of course. So you can just guess what the ending is going to be. Um, and, and, of course, there are different pools that different people recommend. And, um, you know, I asked my, um, asked my dentist about grinding my teeth, and they said, oh, we know someone who did Botox. And, you know, um, you know back in the day, I'm sure I could have asked a bunch of doTERRA people, and they would have prescribed all kinds of oils that would have helped me not grind my teeth. Also go to the juice bar regularly. They're like big proponents of ginger and pro- probiotics, so that might help. Um, <clears throat> as my therapist, and she said, oh, there's nothing to do but treat the stress that causes it. Um, you know, so there's all kinds of answers. And the truth is, perhaps nobody knows, and perhaps they all got it a little bit right. And the pool of Bethesda, I cannot say this word because it's like, it used to be Bethsaida, right? That's like how it used to be translated, but now it's like we're better at translating, transliterating. Um, No one quite knew exactly how it worked, uh, but it seemed to work pretty good on pretty much anything, um, as long as you got there first. And this man, this poor man, had been ill for 38 years. And in a culture where the average lifespan was in your 30s, 38 years is a pretty long time to be ill. It's pretty much forever. And this man is approached by Jesus and asked a simple question. Do you want to be made well? Well, immediately, I think, what a dumb question, right? Like, Here he is, ill for 38 years. Who wouldn't want to be made well? He's even made it to this pool of healing. But on second thought, it's a pretty good one because um, 38 years is an awful long time to be a victim of some kind of illness. Um, It's like a lifetime. Um, Everything in society, everything in that man's life uh, was sort of oriented around this illness at this point. And there's lots of people today in this situation as well that, that everything has sort of been situated in order to support the illness of this, this, this man. Society, um, modern sensibilities, you know, would deny almost this ability for this man's life to be different at all. Um, even the religious law, we find out later, if you read the rest of, if you read the rest of this section, that uh, the religious leaders were angry because uh, they forbid Jesus to heal this man on the Sabbath. So modern sensibilities denied it, religious law forbid it. And his identity was so tied up in this illness that to leave that behind, to really let go of it, would have actually been rather amazingly brave, a brave thing to do. It'd almost be like starting completely over. 
<coughs> is it desired? Of course, like you put yourself in his shoes, here he is. Uh, but it absolutely would have been a totally new frontier for healing to come. Which is why when Jesus asks, do you want to be made well, he defers. He makes an excuse. Um, I've been, I recently watched this show on um, Netflix called Diagnosis. I don't know if anyone has seen it, but it's this documentary about, well, it's a show actually, about this woman who writes, she's a doctor, she writes for the New York Times, and she writes about mysterious illnesses that are hard to diagnose and how people came about finding their diagnosis and getting treatment. Um, well, she decided she really wanted to take this a step further, and she wanted to write about people who hadn't yet received a diagnosis. And she wanted to put it in the New York Times and sort of crowdsource from the world the diagnosis uh, that someone could be experiencing. And so <coughs> she sort of picked people that she thought would be good. They shared their story, shared their symptoms, and then people from all over the world, right, thousands of people wrote in, doctors, everyday people, people who had had the same symptoms wrote in and said, I think you have this. And then they sort of looked at what the common answers were, answers that hadn't been explored, whatever, and they kind of came, by the end of the episode, came to what this person had, which is kind of amazing. But what was even more amazing to me was that in two cases, two women, Actually, they came to a diagnosis, and the two women, these two women, refused to accept that diagnosis. And it was so interesting to me because, um, I mean, truly at this point, probably the best doctors in the world had looked at their cases and said, you have this. And they, ref and there were treatments for these illnesses, and they refused to accept the diagnosis and to receive treatment. And I just thought it was so interesting because in both cases, um, it was something to do with their brain. And they had connected sort of the biological thing that was happening in their brain with sort of a, 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 a psychosis. They didn't want people to think, or they couldn't t accept for themselves, that someone might think that it was all in their head. And that's why they wouldn't accept this diagnosis. <clears throat> so when Jesus asked, do you want to be made well?, the man says, no one is here to help me when the water is stirred. In other words, it's sort of other people's fault at this point that I'm not well. There is a lack. There's a lack for me, a lack of society or relationships or connections. And it's like all too true to deny, right? Like Jesus doesn't even deny it. Certainly, there are many illnesses and dysfunctions that are not cured because of a lack of society or relationship or connection. And there's really, you know, no point arguing the truth of that social reality that the man wants to blame. But certainly, um, there's also many illnesses um, that are actually responsible or, like, caused by a lack in society. Um, and th there's things that, not maybe the illness, there's some things that are not caused by society, but then there's also illnesses that are caused by society. And, and um, there's that too. 
So where does my stress come from? Well, the war or the shootings or the, the climate crisis or the uncertainty or the racism or the violence or the bullying. It's not my fault that my family hasn't been there for me. It's not my fault that what my friend did. It's not my fault that they won't change or apologize. The suffering that I'm facing, uh, the thing that sent me this, to this pool for relief, though I never quite get healed, it's not my fault. Look, I'm alone. There's no one. It's a reality that we all face that there is no one, right? There is no one who is and experiences the world exactly like we do. There's no one who has our exact uh, biology and typology. There's no one who has our exact nurture and nature. Even identical twins raised in the same household are different. Even though it would be nice to know someone who really understood where we were, at the end of the day, our suffering is always our own. Our struggles are our own. Our mats to roll up and to carry are our own, and our crosses to bear are our own. Ultimately, each of us enters this world alone, and each of us exits this world alone. In a kind of way, we are all really alone. There is no one. Having no one can cause existential fear, anxiety, and discontentedness. When we think we are alone, it doesn't matter if we're not alone. And many conflicts and friendships and marriages stem from this idea that this person who is supposed to be with me, for me, has left me alone in, in this area or that area, this situation or that, this context or that. But to be healed, our passage suggests today, um, takes owning the things that have put us where we are, admitting that we are ill and that we want to be well is apparently the step before picking up our mat and being made well. And this is not victim blaming. This is not to say that illnesses are people's fault, but it is to say that once we are there, we have to do some work ourselves, rolling up a mat, standing on our own two feet. And that justice for another person or people, it's not that it's not important, but it's actually not the key to our own healing. Because as much as we would want to deny it when we're in the situation, an apology or a payment or a punishment or a verdict of another will never heal our own bodies or our own broken hearts or our own souls. Um, I was listening to the radio this week and there was a, the, the oldest daughter of one of the women who was shot down in the supermarket. And there was a sound bite of her. And she was, t she was speaking to the shooter. 
And it was just this visceral, like, I mean, it was not calculated in any way. It was this visceral, like, how dare you? How dare you? And whether she asked for it or not, this, this stranger has now set this woman, this child of this mother shot down while shopping, the stranger has set this woman off on this journey that could leave her incapacitated along with many others waiting for some sort of miracle of restoration to come, for someone else's help, for someone else's verdict, for someone else's justice. But ultimately, each victim will have to decide whether or not they stay on their mat or whether or not they seek healing for themselves. Everyone has to decide for themselves if they want to be made well. And our relationships to a substance or a service or a public servant or a supplement, all these pools, is not what heals but rather they can become another shackle that keeps us bound, seducing us and keeping us pinned down. I was listening to um, Fresh Air this week where there was this evangelical expert, which I didn't even know that you could be an evangelical expert, but this lady was, and she was talking about some trends she was seeing in the evangelical world. And one trend was really quite intriguing to me. She was saying that there have been several political candidates um, who have started to include Christian worship music as a part of their either political rallies or celebrations after they're elected. And it's specifically one song that they've started including that she's seen over and over. And it's this song that some of you may be familiar with. It's called Waymaker. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to just tell you the chorus because it's really interesting. It goes, Waymaker... Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. And now I certainly hope that this worship in these political gatherings is pure and that both the leaders and the people, constituents there, are not singing about how the politician is this way maker, this promise keeper, although you certainly could see how they got there. Um, and I certainly can't speak for anyone's intentions, but I find this sort of phenomenon a critical parallel to this passage today because sometimes I think we substitute a pool of healing with the God who heals. And, and don't get me wrong, right? Like, the pools of healing are not wrong. It is not bad or wrong to pursue you know, healing at certain places. They are often critical components in many cases. Therapy, political action, vitamins, do all of it, right? Um, but if our healing is the goal, then the focus is not our relationship to or connection with the pool, Worshiping at a place of healing, a, a pool of healing, is not what offers healing. A political candidate that is faithful and righteous is not the God who guided that person and set him or her on that path. 
A doctor who treats an illness and successfully offers healing to a person is not the God who formed the body and who formed the brain and who, who used the doctor to offer healing to someone. Pools of healing are fine to visit, as long as we don't forget where the living and healing water actually comes from. Because God can use uh, a well, like he does with the Samaritan woman in the passage before this one, or he can use mud and saliva, like he does healing the opening the eyes of the blind man in the passage after this one, or he can use nothing at all, like he does with this man, except for a challenge to defy his modern sensibilities and just stand up and walk. Because the form, the form of the pool, the form of the source of healing is just a form. It's a form. But the healing actually comes from God. Therapy, self-care, weight loss programs, physical therapy, acupuncture, vitamins, courts of law, justice, personal development, apologies, the study of the Enneagram, none of these will get you healed alone. Some people spend their whole lives following the rumors of one pool only to be disappointed and on to the next one, and others get stuck by one, still as ill as ever. Christians trust that healing is not a commodity that can be for sale because the rich and the poor have access to healing alike. Um, In fact, in the Church of the Nazarene, we have a statement of belief called divine healing. And it states, we believe in the biblical doctrine of divine healing and urge our people to offer the prayer of faith for the healing of the sick. We also believe God heals through means of medical science. So this issue of healing isn't if this pool or that pool is valid. The living water actually might be in any pool. But we confess as God's people that God loves us and cares for us. And no matter what the avenue we take, it is God who, who acts for our healing and wholeness. Like the end of Psalm 23, where God's goodness violently pursues us. That God wants our healing Christians can trust that healing is possible practically and functionally as we rely on God and do the work of standing on our feet, rolling up our mats, carrying them, and going down our path, going on our way. As much as it feels good to sort of wag our virtual and mental fingers, At those we blame for the current issues that we face in society, the current pains, the current pressures that can leave us ill, the only responsibility that we really have is what we do. Whether or not we take responsibility for our own healing, whether or not we want to be made well. And so the question that Jesus asked this man, I think, is the same question today. The same question for us, do you want to be made well? Because I believe Jesus wants to heal. And if there is anything good that we can offer to society, it will always and only be the grace, love, and healing that we ourselves have received first that we have already received from God because no one 
can walk that path for us. It is ours alone. In closing, um, I wanted to share a, a couple weeks ago was the godly play doorkeeper or storyteller, and I was telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And many you all know the story of the Good Samaritan. And it was I learned something so important from one of the kids. There, when we got to our wondering questions, we asked about who who was a neighbor, just like Jesus asked in the parable, who was a neighbor to this man? And one of the kids decided that actually um, the Good Samaritan would have helped any of the people in the story. The Good Samaritan would have helped the priest. The Good Samaritan would have helped the Levite. The Good Samaritan would have helped the robber. The Good Samaritan would have helped the donkey. The Good Samaritan would have helped anyone in the story because the Good Samaritan was good. And I thought that was so, such a valuable insight that there was something in this man that would have, that was healed enough to offer that healing, that was healed enough, that knew what it was like to receive help and was able to offer it to anyone that they encountered next. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity this morning to be challenged once again with a question that you always challenge us with in the Gospels, these questions. Do you want to be made well? And I pray that you would help us all, that you would offer the healing that we would need, and that you would give us the bravery and the courage and the audacity to enter a new frontier, to be healed in ways that we have never known. And that we could receive these gifts that you want to offer us today. In Christ's name, amen.